Hear now a reading from the prophet Isaiah. Arise, shine, your light has come. The Lord's glory has shone upon you. Through dar- though darkness covers the earth and gloom the nations, the Lord will shine upon you. God's glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to your dawning radiance. And hear now the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Some translations read, they went home by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts and minds, God, that we might see clearly and know more fully your love and grace. Help us to find another way, your way. And hold me up, God, that I might lift you up Amen. So our bishop, Ripper, uh, can't talk. Our bishop, Robert Schnazy, he wrote a book back in 2007, and it was called The Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. And in the book, he lays out these five fundamental practices that he says, if uh, local congregations practice these, Um, that they will be critical to the success of that congregation. It's possible that this congregation studied the book when it came out. Many churches did. The five practices are radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission and service, and extravagant generosity. So the idea was that if churches focused on excellence in these five areas, then they would be fruitful in ministry. They'd succeed in their mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And thousands 
of congregations around the world. Bishop Schnazy said he was surprised at how many languages that book got translated into. They embraced Bishop Schnazy's ideas, and it worked. I mean, most of those congregations found themselves able to more effectively reach their mission field. Some of them even experienced growth. That was 12 years ago. Which, I mean, when you think about the 2,000 plus years that the church has been around, that doesn't seem like very long at all. But in our current world, where the evolution of technology and science and medicine seems to increase exponentially every single year, and where our ability to know in real time what's happening around the world becomes more efficient every single day, 12 years can seem like eons. I mean, just take the escalator in this picture here. That was invented in 1896. The very first one was installed at the old iron pier at Coney Island. So for the first time, just a little over a hundred years ago, people didn't have to walk upstairs. And since then, think of all the advances that we've made. I mean, and just in the past 12 years, a lot has changed. The other day, James, Michaela, and Zay and I, we were talking about all of the things that Michaela and Zay have access to today that James and I didn't when we were their age. I mean, I remember getting our very first color TV. I remember getting a remote control for the TV. I remember our very first microwave. I remember getting a dishwasher. It was one of those you had to roll over to the sink and hook up. And then cordless telephones. Now that was something to marvel at. And then I thought about the fact that my grandmother, when she was pregnant and preparing to give birth to my dad, which was just 75 years ago, she didn't have indoor plumbing. Yeah, she complained about that. <laughs> then I said, you know, at the rate of speed that everything is changing, that technology is advancing, I mean, it absolutely blows my mind to imagine what it is that Michaela and Zay's children might have access to when they're teenagers. I mean, I, I really have a hard time imagining what's going to happen. Bishop Schnazy is a sharp man, and at annual conference last June, he talked about this book that he had written, and he said that he recognized that things were very different, even just a little over a decade after he had written the book. He points out, for example, that about the only person who had an iPhone 12 years ago was Steve, was, uh, Steve Jobs, and that Facebook and other social media platforms, I mean, they didn't exist as we know them today. And probably the biggest change, specific to the church at least, that he pointed out, and we all know this, is that in recent decades, mainline churches have slowly but consistently declined in membership. According to the surveys, the largest religious affiliation today in the United States is none. And that's not a new denomination or a new religion. That's none, N-O-N-E. And what it means is that more people, when asked about religious affiliation, say that they have none than any particular religion, including Christianity. And that doesn't account for the duns, 
those people who are just done with religion. They've decided, I've had enough. There's nothing for me there. They're done with Christianity, done with the church, period. For a lot of different reasons. Some because they have been harmed at some point in a church. Some because they don't feel welcome. Others because they just feel like that what the church has to say isn't relevant. That what we have to say doesn't speak to their everyday experience of life, at least not in a way that makes sense in today's world. But here's the interesting thing. So even as membership and participation in organized religion declines, there is I mean, they're not rejecting God um, or the notion that relating to God or getting to know God better uh, somehow is not helpful to their lives. They desire a relationship with God. They desire to grow spiritually. But the way that the church reveals God, it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't speak to them, which begs the question, do we need to find another way? What are we doing as a church to find another way? I mean, what we were doing, even as recently as five to ten years ago, it's no longer working. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. And I don't get it, because my experience of church is rich and full. My experience of growing in faith within the Christian tradition and within a Christian community fills me with hope helps me to know God more fully, helps me to experience love. But the way we're communicating that to people outside the church doesn't appear to be working. According to Alcoholics Anonymous, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Y'all, I think we have got to find another way. The Magi they noticed an unusual star in the east, a star that so captured them, they felt compelled to drop everything, to pack up their bags, get on their camels, and take a journey to a distant land to follow where the light of that star led them. They ended up finding themselves in Jerusalem. They asked, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Somehow they knew that this star announced his birth. We don't exactly know why, and we're not sure why they cared about the birth of a foreign king. I mean, they weren't the ones who'd been waiting for this savior for centuries and centuries. They weren't Jewish, and based on everything we read in scripture, they didn't really want to be. Yet they were interested in spirituality, and they were seeking and finding God. Apparently, somehow they knew that the child that was to be born was a huge deal. And they found 
a sign of it in the stars. Somehow they knew that this child was going to make a huge difference, even to them, the nuns. Okay, it's not a perfect metaphor. <laughs> the Magi did affiliate with a particular religion. They were Zoroastrian astrologer priests from Persia. Is this one not working either? Oh, okay. All right. Um, and they were open to another way. They were open to experiencing God in another way, in a new way. When they arrived at the place where the star hung, marking the place with a brilliance that you could not miss, a brilliance that revealed to them the glory of this miraculous event, they were so filled with joy that scripture says they were overcome. They entered this house, they fell to their knees, they worshiped this young king that had been born. And they were so overwhelmed with the experience that they opened up their treasure, treasure chests and they offered him their very best gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, they are extravagant gifts. To give someone you've just met, it's enormous. I think that's what an authentic experience of Christ is. Seems like to me, there's this epiphany. Something critical is revealed. Light shines and we see. We see clearly and we know we know God more fully. We know hope and joy and peace. And it inspires us to offer our best gifts in service to this Christ, in service to God. Everything changes. Suddenly we find another way to be. We find another way to live and to love each other. When the time came for the Magi to leave, they went home by another way. They were so changed by this experience with Christ. This encounter led to another epiphany, a dream that warned them that they should not go back to Herod. This epiphany revealed to them that Herod's intentions, they were not to honor the child. Because you see, Herod, he had claimed the title of king of the Jews for himself. So the idea or the rumors that the king of the Jews, the Christ, had been born, that troubled him, scripture says. I bet that's an understatement, actually. I mean, a true king could ruin him. So with very great courage, the Magi found another way. Herod was furious. He didn't know what to do. Determined, destroy the Christ. He went on a rampage. He ordered soldiers to kill every child two years and younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. It was a huge massacre. And Jesus was spared. He was spared because Joseph, his father, also had an epiphany. 
Just in time, an angel revealed to Joseph in a dream that he should take his family and flee to Egypt. As the Christ, as the light of the world grew and began to minister to the world, he continued to reveal God. He continued to reveal God and God's love and grace to everyone that he met. He found lots of ways to encounter people, to connect with people, and to deliver this amazing message of hope and grace that God sought to deliver through this amazing light. So about two years ago, Bishop Schnazy decided that he needed to update his book to reflect some of the current changes in our cultural landscape that are affecting the fruitfulness of our congregations. In the first book, he relied heavily upon what he calls attractional assumptions. That's the idea um, that if we cultivate excellent worship, if we have great hospitality, excellent missional efforts, if we're very generous, if we have good education programs, spiritual growth programs, then people are going to show up at our door, they're going to think we're fabulous, and they're going to want to be a part of this thing. They're going to want to enter into our community, they're going to want to become members. And that happens sometimes, but not all that often anymore. And we're not to abandon those efforts, Bishop Schnazy says, but he realizes that's no longer enough. He realizes that we have to find another way. Taking the old way seems to be leading to the death of the church. If we're going to thrive in today's world, we have to expand our assumptions. We have to expand our assumptions to include missional assumptions. Attractional alone is no longer sufficient to reach the mission field. We need a more deliberate and outward focus. We can't expect that people are just going to show up with an interest in becoming members. We have to go out and express an interest in them. That's especially true in our particular context here in Westlake Hills. I mean, Westlake Hills is not a growing community. Our immediate area is fairly fully developed. We're not the south side of Austin where housing developments and new apartment complexes are being constructed on a regular basis. And our church in particular, we're not on a main road. We're not easy to find. We have a small sign out by the road that blends in with the, with the landscape per the Westlake Hills building codes. We're nestled in this little grove of trees, which is beautiful once you find us. It's a wonderful place to be in community. But even if you happen to be looking for us, we're easily missed. And based on the statistics, the majority of the, the, majority of the population isn't looking. They're nuns and duns. We have to find another way. So one of the things that Bishop Schnazy points out is that in that diagram that I had up earlier, let's see, can I get, there we go, um, that you can notice that the lines in this diagram actually intersect. Those who are interested in spirituality 
cross paths with those who have a committed relationship with Christ and a church community. We, each and every one of us, we encounter nuns and duns every single day in our work, out in the community, where we live, where we eat. How are we going to leverage this? How are we going to find another way, a new way to reach our neighbors? Jesus found another way. Jesus met people both physically and metaphorically wherever they were. He didn't just teach in synagogues. He also went out. He was always on the move, looking for people. How can we do that? We do an excellent job as a church of reaching people through our partnerships with organizations like Mobile Loaves and Fishes and Women's Storybook Project and Community First and through our border ministry, through a whole host of ministries that we are in partnership with or that we support. But how do we reach the people that are across the street or the people who live right next door? We have to find another way. The good news is we've actually begun the work. For about a year now, um, I've had the opportunity to be in relationship with EANS ISD, and I've been meeting regularly with a steering committee of, of uh, people from EANS ISD who have organized a couple of um, events where we've brought together a large group of community leaders so that we can talk about you know, what are the greatest challenges of our students and our youth here in the community? And how can we as a community begin to address those? How can we partner together um, to address those concerns? And it's been going really well. I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of different people, to be involved in several different um, thinking groups. We're at the, at the point where we're developing a plan so that we can begin to put some things into action. There's this joy project that we are involved with through um, Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And this is an outgrowth of our own discernment process here in the church, where we have been working to understand and better know the concerns and the lives of our youth, the students who come here and who are in this surrounding area, um, and how to meet those needs, how to better meet them. And one of the things that we're going to do through this JOY project is begin to have a study that is at Westlake High School led by one of our high school students during the lunch hour. I'm excited about that to see who they're able to reach. Thanks to Kurt, we joined the Chamber of Commerce. I think he did that on day two. <laughs> And we've had the opportunity to participate in several community events. We got to go to a tailgating party that was right before the Lake Travis-Westlake High game. Got to meet a lot of people there, hand out water. We were at Wonderfest, which was this amazing opportunity where lots of families came. We got to meet a lot of families who we then invited to Cookies with Santa, which this year we did out in the community in partnership with All Star Burger. And then some of the families from Wonderfest came to the Cookies with Santa event. We got to talk to them some more. We've had some of those families come to worship. One in particular has been to Sunday school. We've partnered with a new publication that's launching in February called Lost Creek Living. It's a publication that will come out monthly in the Lost Creek neighborhood. 
and it will go into every mailbox in that neighborhood. And we get to tell people in that neighborhood every single month what's going on at Westlake UMC that might interest them, that might be exciting to them, that might help them grow in, in their lives. And in March, we actually are going to be the featured article. So I'm excited about that. But more importantly, I'm excited about all the opportunities that this is going to bring for us to actually meet and interact with members of that community. They have these social events that, that I get to go to. Um, so I'm going to get to know these people. We're planning our Easter sunrise service already. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> and um, we're hoping that that service will be out in the community, that we will find a place out in the community where we can have that service, where we can encounter people that might not come here on Sunday morning. We're cultivating a partnership with the Christie Center, which is um, an organization that helps people manage and process grief. We hope that we get to become one of the locations where we can supply or we can provide that kind of care here in our church. We're planning a sermon series in May on mental health and addiction, and we're already in conversation with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We're in conversation with them about hosting one of their awareness events which happen in the same month that we're having the series here at our location. We're searching for another way. We're looking for lots of different ways, new ways to expand our model of doing ministry from attractional to missional, from come and see to go out and do, to go and be with those who live in and around our community, like the Magi, we have got to pay attention. We have to look for the light that God is using to reveal where Christ is being born so that we can go, so that we can set out, so that we can seek the people and the places where the light is shining and then offer our very best gifts so that what God births into our lives and into the lives of those in our own backyard might live and grow and change us and change the world, that we might all find another way, that we might all find a better way, that we might all find the way Jesus the Christ. Amen.